another Book Collector podcast. The author this week is Brian Alderson, the grand panjandrum of children's books, and the title of his piece, which appeared in our issue for spring 2022, is Children's Books and Book Collectors. The reader is Sarah Bennett. Children's Books and Book Collectors by Brian Alderson A stigma attaches itself to persons such as myself who collect and write about children's books. Look at the book collector. Well, look at it up there, running along the top shelf in the downstairs book room. The first number, to which I subscribed, was that of spring 1957. At £1.10 shillings yearly, Including postage, it was quite expensive for me, but I was working for a bookseller, so got a trade discount. I had been encouraged to subscribe by my friend Edmund Poole, who was working with Turner Berry on their Annals of Printing, and I was keen to know more about the history of the making of books, and was also collecting, with very slender resources, early stuff on Coleridge, mostly Pickering's. However, the bookseller for whom I worked specialised in library supplies, especially children's books, and in the ten years that I stayed with him I became involved in what was then a busy London community, both of children's books editors and publishers and the children's and school librarians, who were their customers. It was the start of, in a phrase that keeps being bandied about, a golden age of creative work and enhanced my growing interest in the history and bibliography of the genre. The age, though, was golden only to its participants, including lucky children, and was not in the wider world seen as having substance for any more serious study. A stigma, as I say. Those ranks of book collectors, on their now, for me, unreachable shelves, had never contained much on the collecting of children's books, and it had been in my mind to trawl through the journal's magnificent online archive to gather evidence for that statement. That has proved too daunting a task. Nevertheless, by simply looking down the list of obituaries, I find that eminent collectors and scholars, such as Marjorie Moon, Peter Opie, Edgar Osborne, Judith St. John, and Dalt Welch, are not to be found there. There are several reasons for this neglect apart from the fact that little to do with children is taken seriously in intellectual circles anyway. The principal one is, surprisingly, the mind-boggling complexity of the genre. If we leave aside the unmapped territory of the years before 1700, we find children's books beginning to emerge as a publishing category whose contents would largely parallel that of books for adults, but adapted for less tutored readers. Fables, religious works, simple poetry, simple stories, and so on. It was, though, significantly joined by a separate literature, developing characteristics all of its own. Alphabet books, concept books, books dependent on its conjunction of words and illustrations, the oral tradition of rhymes and fantasy tales turned into printed collections, books that could become playthings. Furthermore, Many a title within all the categories, and including some works never intended for child readers, like Robinson Crusoe, developed lives of their own, some lasting a century or more and finding themselves pirated, translated, abridged, rewritten and interpreted by graphic artists 
whose highly variable talents subsisted alongside and often laid separate artistic claims beside somebody else's original text. For reasons grounded in the London-based development of the book trade and the nature of the home market, it so occurred that this literature for children that arrived in the 18th century was to prove more extensive, more diverse, and more imaginatively inventive than elsewhere in Europe or North America. Sufficient proof of this can be seen in the years before 1750, when such a variety of titles emerged as Isaac Watts' Divine Songs, kept in print for children from 1715 to 1902, Croxall's Aesop of 1721, dedicated to the five-year-old Baron Halifax, with its many relief metal engravings by Alicia Kirkall, which influenced Buick in 1818. There were also the astonishing events of the 1740s, which saw manifold entertainments in the way of Borman's gigantic histories, a run of engraved little comedies, including the delicious Tommy Thumb's Pretty Songbook, with its nursery rhymes, many still current, the first of Newbury's many contributions, a little pretty pocket book, and the arrival of the moral tale with Mary Collier's Christmas Box and Sarah Fielding's novel The Governess. This variety, with books mostly of good cheer, was unmatched anywhere and was emblematic of a future pre-eminence that would include such Weltbücher as Alice and Peter Rabbit. Understanding the history, and indeed celebrating, this manifold publishing activity would seem to be fundamental to that of literature itself and as eminently collectible. Yet, it is a story of tragic neglect among the movers and shakers of British book collecting and bibliography. The British Museum, later British Library, leads the way. Unmoved by the fact that almost everyone in the country learned to read with children's books and perhaps gained a lifelong enthusiasm for books and reading through that medium, its acquisition, cataloguing and curating of children's books has always, unlike, for instance, national libraries in Berlin or Stockholm or Washington, lacked a specialist curator. Indeed, Horst Kunz, head of the Staatsbibliothek of the GDR, not only collected children's books, but wrote about them as well. In 1968, when the library was prevailed upon by outside interests to hold a momentous exhibition, in the King's Library, no less, a visiting organiser had to be smuggled in to select and catalogue the exhibits, the in-house contact being the library's Icelandic specialist. Soon after, the great American collector, Dalt Welch, a guest at the library, besought those in charge to re-catalogue the rarest children's books so that they might be consulted only in the North Library, instead of being in general circulation. And there lies a clue to what our neglect has cost us. For the United States, whose own children's literature barely emerged as any sort of force until 1900, recognised early on the attractiveness the importance for scholarship and the rarity potential of children's literature. Children are notorious for destroying their reading matter, but they are joined by plenty of adults who regard it as eminently disposable clutter. As a result, booksellers such as Rosenbach, Walter Schatzky and latterly Justin Schiller have brought an energy and insight to the acquisition of multiple treasures from this side of the Atlantic and the fostering of major collections among American enthusiasts. It must be acknowledged here that, as in the case too of adult books, the collecting impulse is often primarily a personal one. 
so that there were notable collectors in Britain from the time of Andrew Tour at the end of the 19th century. All too often, though, lovingly and intelligently assembled collections have gone into the open market after the owner had done with them. Marjorie Moon, Jerry Bell, while others, such as the Hockcliffe at Bedford or Harris at Preston, have been left to local institutions where they may have been cared for and even catalogued, but never augmented as a meaningful contribution to the field. On two notable occasions, however, British collectors, seeking to find a home for their holdings in the book's own homeland, have found a less than enthusiastic response to such a project, and westward their whole collections have gone. The magnificent response of Toronto to the gift of the Osborne collection has made a visit to Canada as sine qua non for the serious study of British children's literature. While less well-known is the purchase in 1933 of the books of Charles Todd Owen by the Indiana businessman George Ball, inventor of the Ball Jar. His 2,000 books, which included the 1750 home teaching manuscripts of Jane Johnson, came to be divided between the Lilly Library at Bloomington, Indiana, and the Pierpont Morgan Library in New York to Britain's eternal loss. More recently, however, the children's books of these islands have come to form only a portion of the most remarkable collecting endeavour yet, the Lloyd Coston Children's Library, now housed at Princeton University. Although begun as a family library in Los Angeles in the early 1960s, circumstances have now brought to it an international collection of uncountable thousands of books. Its transfer to Princeton, of which Lloyd was both an alumnus, class of 1950, and a trustee, was effected in 1995, and in 2021 a catalogue was completed of what has been called its core collection. It consists of six mighty volumes with a two-volume index, and we hope to give an account of that in the next chapter of The Book Collector, along with Lloyd's remarkable supporting enterprise at the Coston Occasional Press. For all his fame, there was no obituary for him in The Book Collector. That was Sarah Bennett, reading children's books and book collectors by Brian Alderson, published in The Book Collector Only in the spring of 2022. If you enjoyed this Book Collector podcast, you can find many more on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or via our website. Why not check out our Great Collectors playlist for more podcasts featuring the biggest names in book collecting and bibliography. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.